The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the excellent team at republicen.org, if I do say so myself. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, excited to bring you another riveting guest. This week, we feature our conversation with Florida Rep Byron Donalds, who's serving in his first term, having replaced the retiring or retired now Francis Rooney, whom, as some of you may recall, was a season one guest and um, also while he was in office was a big advocate for pricing carbon. Congressman Donalds recently went on a field trip with our own Bob Inglis, where they explored climate change impacts his district is experiencing. We'll reminisce about that trip as well as other climate solutions. Listeners, my conversation with Congressman Byron Donalds is coming up next. Welcome back, listeners. It's always my honor when we have sitting members of Congress on the show. And today we have not only a sitting member, but a retired member of Congress. So um, please welcome to the show, Congressman Donalds. Thank you so much for being here. And of course, our own Bob Inglis is in the conversation as well. Great to be with you, Chelsea. Great to be with you, Byron. Wonderful to see you at least on Zoom and uh, having seen you in person recently. It's good to be on with you guys. Uh, it's my pleasure. You know, it's, it's going to be fun. So one thing, um, Congressman, I thought we could just sort of start off, especially for those listeners who don't hail from Florida and might not be familiar with your district. If you could just talk a little bit about um, what your district is like and maybe some of the environmental or climate impacts you're seeing there. Well, I represent uh, Southwest Florida, uh, which is Marco Island, Naples, uh, Fort Myers, Sanibel Island. Sanibel Island, excuse me, Captiva Island, um, you know, St. Jay City, Boca Grande. We have um, fishing. We have tourism, obviously a, a large amount of, of marine life, uh, watersheds, estuaries. Um, we're on the western side of the Everglades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're part of the central Everglades uh, system that is basically feeds out of Lake Okeechobee. Uh, so in our district, water quality um, and sustainability is really important to the to the lifestyle and to the community of Southwest Florida that I represent. So earlier in my career, I actually was um, part of the comprehensive Everglades restoration plan. So when you said Naples, my ears perked up. Uh, I used to go to those annual Everglades coalition conferences. I feel like they were every January, just at the point where it was getting cold and miserable here and we would get to go to Florida. But um, yeah, that's a that's a great um, part of the state and a lot of resources that um, both provide economic value, but also just value in, you know, to people who live there. So um, you both recently went on this um, field trip, as we call them here at RepublicEN.org, out on the pure Florida. And so I would love to hear from both of you some of the sites that you saw, some of the things that you learned on that trip. Yeah, so that was is is fun to be on the on the boat. Uh, the you know the thing that's interesting about Naples, Byron, is I noticed it's three feet above sea level. My hometown of Bluffton, South Carolina, I just looked it up, claims to be nineteen feet above sea level. 
I think that's part way up a pine tree. Um, I mean, I don't think we're really 19 feet. I think we're more like, I don't know, like some places five feet. So, but you, it's really something to be in a place that's three feet. And what, of course, one of the things we learned is that sea level rise for a hundred years was one inch. And then in the last, uh, uh, last of a decade or so, it's been four inches, which is just amazing amount of sea level rise. And so four inches when you're at three feet, that's serious. <laughs> it's like uh, in Bluffton, we, we got maybe some uh, margin there at 19, if it's really 19. But that's one of the things that we saw, right? Is, um, but of course, that's something you knew and going there, you, you represent that, uh, that district, all those fun places you just mentioned. Everybody's uh, everybody's putting on their sunscreen and thinking about coming to join you uh, at Sanibel and all, Marco and all those places, right? So, uh, right. But keeping it nice is one of the things that I guess a member, the local member of Congress is uh, is dedicated to doing. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, we, you know, to, to piggyback on what you said, Bob, we, we were able to go out on the boat a little bit. We went out to Kiwaden Island, which is one of the barrier islands. Um, in Naples, um, beautiful place. People go there all the time. They boat there all the time. But what we actually were discussing being on Kiwaden, um, is the beach, the, just the beach erosion that has occurred because of sea level rise. It's, it's not just in Southwest Florida. It happens in Miami. Um, they have, they've had some flooding issues in Miami Beach associated with it. And so one of the things that at the state level they've been working on is, uh, is, uh, is, um, resiliency projects, things of that nature. Um, in our community, we do a bunch of beach renourishment that happens. Um, it seems like every other year in Southwest Florida, all of our municipalities are, are going through that process. And so, you know, in our area, you know, the key thing first is, understanding what are going to be the impacts with respect to sea level rise for Southwest Florida. Number two, what are the resiliency projects that can be worked on to, to mitigate those aspects right now? And then number three is the water quality issue. You know, what are we doing? Um, whether you're talking about septics, whether you're talking about um, the actual central Everglades restoration uh, plan and, and all points in between to try to, um, you know, basically make, basically make sure that you have, a clean um, aquatic environment, and, and also you have a sustainable aquatic environment, not just for the environment itself, but for the people who've chosen to make Southwest Florida home, for the businesses that operate there, um, so that we can continue to maintain the beauty that is Southwest Florida, and frankly, all of Florida. Yeah, and you know, Byron, you come with experience from the State House. So, what's really interesting about your you're coming to Congress is you know about all those issues from a state house perspective, and now you see them from a congressional perspective. I wonder if there what are, are there differences there, or things you see differently now than you saw in the state house, or same kind of things? Is just trying to work out a partnership. It, it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same things. The one thing I, th- I would say at the federal level is uh, when it comes to water policies, like every state is having water issues in one way or the other. They're having uh, resiliency issues in one way or the other. In the mid-Atlantic states, uh, they're having, they're having uh, many flooding issues. Part of that, in, in my view, is infrastructure. The mid-Atlantic states haven't really had to deal with that the way Florida has always had to deal with it. So even though we're a low-lying state comparatively to the mid-Atlantic states, we've had to build in our infrastructure uh, retention, runoff systems, et cetera, so that we can actually manage water flow 
and still maintain the ways of life. And even when hurricanes come and they bring on um, higher amounts of water uh, through natural disaster, we're able to not have major flooding issues in our in, in our state. We're able to kind of disperse and dispense of that water. But it's, it's a very different argument at the federal level because you're having to deal with so many different um, regions of the country, what they're all being impacted by. Yeah, I remember back when I was working on the Everglades restoration bill um, in the late 1990s, early 2000s, and being on the Senate floor and Senator Connie Mack was representing Florida at that time with Senator Bob Graham, who they'd spearheaded this effort. And we were taking this vote on this really expensive Everglades restoration project. And of course, there was some controversy around the price tag. And (laughs) Senator Mack just stood there Every member that came down, he knew I voted for your water project here. I voted for your (laughs) beach erosion project here. Like he almost had like a mental list of every time he had supported some other regions, similar efforts. And they, I mean, he had them, right? Everyone was like, okay, I, so that when I think of the difference, obviously having never worked in Congress or in the state house, I, I sort of see that now you have your experience in Florida And then you're seeing, you know, all these other states, all these other regions experiencing what you do. And as you noted here in the mid-Atlantic where I live, terrible flooding going on. And then I just read something that West Virginia is actually a state that's a really high flood risk state. And that surprised me because I thought, I don't think of that as a state that's low. It's not low line. It's the mountain state, but um, impacts like this everywhere. And obviously, um, you know, we care a lot about solutions. And one thing I know that you are very um, strongly in favor of is more nuclear energy. Yeah, well, quick point about about your comments about Senator Mack. I, I think mm-hmm. it was it's actually quaint almost to hear them being concerned about spending money at that time. In Washington, <laughs> we don't have any problems doing that now. I mean, the money just flows. <laughs> it just flows out these days, which is, you know, as, you know, as a, it's, it's, it's distressing for me, you know, as a, as somebody with a finance background to see in some respects, how reckless we are. But I think with respect to water projects and really the sustainability of various uh, uh, areas of the country, you know, the mid-Atlantic states where you live, the reason why it's so important that I think you have to have those state and federal and local partnerships is because you're going to have to make sure that your infrastructure is prepared for for potential flooding issues, where then you don't fall into a situation where your where property is damaged, people are displaced. Um, we're having to deploy FEMA, it seems like every other month. Uh, that we have to plan better for that. And so I think that those are the areas where you have dollars spent by the federal government working with state and local officials can actually make that a better situation. Specifically to nuclear, um, you know, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm such a huge proponent of it is because, you know, if we're going to have the argument of cutting emissions in the United States, we have to realize that our energy matrix is still based upon uh, coal, natural gas and, 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 and oil. Um, that is literally 90% of the energy matrix in the United States. You cannot displace that without something that is consistent, cheap, and, and, and readily available. Um, nuclear power, especially modular nuclear reactors, um, these are the type of reactors that are sustainable um, on par of cost and output. It's frankly much cheaper than green technology is today. Um, because battery technology is just not where it needs to be for, for green technology to really supply our energy needs. But the key thing is output, the output of nuclear power and the ability mm-hmm. to deploy 
modular reactors would actually help us get to a zero emissions um, energy framework while also making sure that we have consistent, reliable energy for our industries and for our people. Um, if your economy doesn't have strong, uh, strong energy matrix, you're not going to have a strong economy. If you don't have a strong economy, you have dislocations in your political apparatuses and in your societies. It puts so much downward pressure on just having a free and open and, and really a harmonious uh, society. Energy is critical to that. And so that's why, you know, I think that um, nuclear power is, is going to be critical for the United States going forward. No matter what side you're on with the climate change debate, what we really should be focused on is making sure that we have consistent, um, consistent, plentiful energy. And I believe nuclear provides us that. And also you ha- don't have to deal with the emissions. Last point I'll make modular advanced reactors actually spin the nuclear material a hundred percent. So you're not having to store spent fuel rods like we do with the old mm-hmm. plants. We think of like Turkey point or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever the case might be, might be people think three mile Island when they think about those type of old style yeah. nuclear plants, you had to store those nuclear rods, um, modular nuclear reactors. You don't have to do that. We now continue on the Eco Right Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. And having that sort of consistent, um, reliable baseload power allows you, I think, then to have um, to get more solar and wind and other renewables online because you have. You don't have to deal with the intermittency issue if you have a reliable um, baseload. So we have the by having more of these modular reactors, as you noted, I think you could see states and and even just people being more willing to adopt other renewable energy sources because they know they have the backup. Right. They know they have the steady power. Your lights aren't going to go off because the wind stops. You're going to have something there that you can rely on. And, And in today's economy, we can't. We can't deal with losing power for an hour, let alone days and days. And um, I noted that your governor um, just vetoed a bill that would have killed some incentives for solar um, rooftop solar. So, you know, I always feel like the Sunshine State should have more solar, right, because that's something that is a free resource. And um, so I was wondering if you had thoughts on the solar industry in general, solar, especially um, in the states where it makes sense. Well, I mean, f- with respect to um, whatever Governor DeSantis vetoed, like I mm-hmm. haven't seen it. So I, I don't mm-hmm. want to comment on it. I don't know what yeah. the details are, okay. because not all incentive programs are the same. Some of mm-hmm. them, the, the incentive structure is really not economical. And mm-hmm. so what it actually creates is more government reliance, which doesn't mm-hmm. allow solar to really um, have to innovate and do the things necessary where it is actually a consistently reliable, not only economic situation, but also from a power generation situation. Right. I think when you're talking about solar panels for um, somebody's house, somebody's dwelling, I think that the data is pretty clear there that solar power can provide enough energy generation mm-hmm. for a home. Uh, depending on the amount of panels that you can deploy, depending on what your battery situation is. Um, It's still very reliant in terms from a cost perspective on governmental subsidies, tax credits, et cetera. Um, And so that's where the economics aren't there yet. Um, It's something where the upfront cost is something that can be borne by somebody who's typically in upper middle class, so on and so forth, because they have the disposable income and, and the cash reservoir to do that. Um, it's just not economically viable right now, unfortunately, 
for uh, for working families, which is which is frankly the vast majority of the United States, and that's and that's where you would get to. Um, but I think solar in and of itself is not bad. I think what it is is that the economics around solar are not deployable enough for mass production where it's where it's adoptable. That I think that's going to change over the next twenty years. I think you're going to see. Uh, major improvements in technology mm-hmm. on the panels themselves and on battery technology. I think it's important for people to understand that battery technology really has not changed all that much um, in, the, in the past 70 years. And so a lot of this is going to be on the ability to actually store the generation. I think when we cross that leap, if you will, that barrier in battery technology, that's going to have major changes in the very economics when it comes to solar and even even wind, geothermal, et cetera. And so I think battery technology is the key thing there. When it comes to um, governmental subsidies, governmental programs, we do have to be careful about how these things are crafted because I think it's important to promote these things, but you don't want to create, frankly, boondoggle programs that are going to blow up not only in, in, in legislators' faces, but really don't give you the economic bang for your buck that you're looking for yeah, and to allow you, those technologies to grow. You, you and else it, do, it doesn't do, Byron, is it doesn't give you the climate impacts that you think you're going to get. In fact, uh, if you look Adele Morris at Brookings, interesting, you know, Brookings uh, tends to be maybe a little bit left to center, but Adele has done some interesting work showing the cost of some of these subsidies in terms of CO2 reduction. And they can be enormously expensive. In other words, it's not getting you. Some of these things don't get you to where you're trying to go. Um, and so it's what you're talking about. It's, it's not only the creation of government programs that never die. It's also that they might not effectively deliver CO2 reduction because and so what this is where I think the strength of Republicans uh, and conservatives that need to enter this conversation, because you can pick up that study from Adele Morris at Brookings. I mean, that's a pretty credible source when you're talking to somebody on the left and you can say, hey, this is what Brookings has to say about this. You see those things you're trying to put in place. They don't get us there. You got to right. find another way to get there um, because. So, uh, yeah, interesting that it, it's it's both the cost and the uh, just the effectiveness of them. Um, no, you're, you're absolutely right on that. Congressman, I know that your time is precious and I want to let you go, but I just wanted to um, ask one other question. Um, sure. We are big fans of Mr. John Curtis from Utah and his um, conservative climate caucus that he founded last year with over now 75 members at varying levels of um on their climate change journey, so to speak, and wondering if you've looked at this caucus and maybe have some um, thoughts about joining in the future. So the, the caucus itself, actually, I'm not aware. Um, I try not to join too many caucuses, mm-hmm. um, but I do have conversations with a ton of members. I did join the nuclear reactor caucus. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a good one to join because, of course, the level of involvement my office is doing with nuclear power. Yeah. Um, but I would love to have those conversations with them because I think overall, I think dialogue is important in, con- in Congress. You have to be able to take the time and take the opportunity to have these discussions, really get into the policy weeds. I think people think our politics are just phrases and talking points yeah. and, and interviews, but we are, we do have deep level discussions. And so I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I would ever join, yeah. but I definitely would engage them and have those policy discussions. 
That's all we can ask for. And we love hearing about, we love hearing a member say that they want to have those conversations and talk because that's, that's what we do. We do a lot of talking and, um, Thank you for everything, for being on the show, for going on the field trip. And we both wish you best as you continue to represent your district and finish out this congressional term. And and if I could just... If I could just add this, Chelsea, thank you, Byron, for being so interested in talking policy on that field trip. Those are the field trips that really get me going is when somebody actually wants to talk policy Uh, because you all sort of know it's a problem. Climate change is a problem. Um, But the policy is what we got to get to. And that's what you were willing to engage in on that trip. And so we're very grateful to for you uh, to you for that. It was my pleasure. It's my pleasure to be there. My pleasure to even have this discussion with you guys today. Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano, host of Citizens Climate Radio. We highlight people's stories. We celebrate your successes. And together we share strategies for talking about climate change. We do all this by hearing from some pretty surprising climate advocates. We feature politicians, preachers, and poets. Citizens Climate Radio is designed to inform you about the many ways people are addressing the causes and impacts of climate change. Subscribe and listen to Citizens Climate Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Price, happy Friday. Well, it's not Friday when our listeners are listening, but it is Friday as you and I are recording and we are expecting to break heat records this weekend. You know how much that thrills me. Well, it was 90s yesterday in South Carolina in the upstate, and today it's going to be 95. I have to go to a uh, a funeral this afternoon, a long put off, but then it's going to be kind of a quasi-outdoor party late, very late this afternoon, the hottest day of the year here expected in the upstate of South Carolina. I would rather see upper mid upper 90s in july versus mid to late may but say la vie that is the nature of where i live because it basically is we get a almost a four almost a five month summer so here we go we're off and running well i have a baseball playoff game at four today colin's team advanced all right I know this is not a sports podcast, but if the well, you know, I like sports. So you know, I know you love some sports, and if the listeners would and just baseball. like hang with us for a second here, I have to just recap the very end of Tuesday's game. You need to brag. We need. I need to brag, and it does involve my son. So, first of all, I'll just preface this by saying that last the, the previous playoff game we won twenty to four, and it was such a boring game, and it lasted two and a half hours because every time we got to bat, we were just like driving in runs, and those are fun but at a certain point you know the coach isn't sending runners anymore you're just like all right let's just get this game over with and that was mercy ruled so in the mercy rule in in high school here is if you get to the through five innings and the one team is up by more than 12 runs or something like that then the game is over but normally you play seven um in regulation in in high school so bottom of the seventh inning, we were the home team. We were down by one. And this game just went back and forth the whole game. And the um, first batter comes to the plate and they walk him. Well, then they put my son in as the pinch runner. And the pitcher was a lefty. So as you know, when the left-handed pitchers are pitching, they have that view to first base. My son got in his head. He was like, he's like, I. he told me later, I had no intention of stealing mom. I just like you know, unless coach sent me, but like, I was just having some fun taking a little bigger lead than maybe I should have just 
that pitcher ended up throwing to first base. My son says five times. I felt like it was more than that, but he rattled him. Right. So then he ended up walking the batter and then he walked the next batter. So bases loaded all on walks, no outs. And our pitcher comes up to the, our relief pitcher who was just angry because it was not his fault that some runs were led in the previous inning with some fielding errors that uh, led to that happening. So you could just tell he wanted revenge. Right. And I'm like, he is going to smack this one out of here. Well, he didn't. He walked. So Colin got to cross the base as the tying run on a, a fourth walk of the inning. And then our next batter comes to the plate and he's a good hitter, too. So I'm like, OK, now this guy is just going to open it up. First pitch hits him. So we won on a hit by a pitch walk, fifth walk of the inning in the bottom of the seventh. A little anticlimactic, except for it was really fun that Colin got to be the tying run. And so that is my humble brag. Sorry, listeners. I know this is not a sports podcast, but we should have a sports podcast. I welcome. I welcome (laughs) a good sports story. I welcome a good sports success story, especially when it involves my... Uh, esteemed host on this podcast, one Chelsea Henderson, or one of her kids, because I love you know I love sports and I love some good baseball. And best of luck to Colin in his playoff quest that gets going this afternoon. Before we move forward, I want to say thank you to Byron Donalds uh, for joining and his staff for helping uh, set that up. We had that great field trip. Glad he was able to touch on it. Glad Bob was able to join that interview. Um, it was great having him on. It's great having uh, sitting members of Congress on. Uh, we always enjoy doing that. So I really appreciate uh, Byron Donalds doing that and, and joining you and Bob Chels. Um, before we go any further, also want to make sure shout outs to some new members. We got a little bit behind, but um, nevertheless, in South Carolina, we have two. Uh, that signed up, Carl F. and Steve G., not to mention also Lynn S. in Florida, Richard H. in Washington, and Megan L. in Nebraska. You can stand with us at republicin.org forward slash join. We need you. Please stand with us. Please do. It's so easy. Uh, I sound like a pledge drive. It's easy. It. Um, we say this all the time. It also entitles you to get the weekly um, newsletter I send that we call Week in Review. It's um, just a recap of the week's um, climate-related events from that eco-right perspective. So you definitely want that. People always write back to me and say, wow, that was really useful. Thank you. I didn't see that. Um, so I am very proud of it, and I work hard to make it readable and fun and insert my personality in there too so it's not dry. I would say is not dry. is very readable and fun. All right, we got a big summer ahead, and we just talked about the heat, and it's heating up with uh, some trips. I know for events around the country, we're going to be in Indiana. We're going to be in Florida. Um, we're going to be in Washington State, Utah. We're going to be all around. Uh, we do have a lot going on. If you would like us to be part of your event, if you would like to generate an event uh, centered around us or simply with us, please reach out to me, Price at Republican.org. We'd love to talk to you, especially when it comes to those uh, key specific states um, where we're going to be working in this summer. Like I said, Florida, Indiana, Utah, 
uh, Washington State, uh, just to name a few, as well as here in South Carolina. We've got some happy hours coming up that we'll tell you about probably here in the next week or so uh, that are going to be once a month in the state of Indiana. They're going to move around. We're going to partner with our friends Casey Crane and the Indiana Conservative Alliance for Energy and doing those in a specific city every third Wednesday in the state of Indiana. So we'll give you a little bit more information about those uh, on next week's episode. Speaking of next week, Chelsea, what do we have? Tease our listeners with our upcoming interview. Yes. So next week, we will be bringing you my conversation with the um, CEO of Constellation Energy, Joe Dominguez, a longtime friend of Bob and a past um, supporter uh, advisor to Republican.org back when I started and we had a team, we had an actual panel of advisors. He was one. So longtime um, member of the, I would call him eco, right? And Constellation Energy is doing some really great um, things in terms of renewable energy and obviously um, their nucle- nuclear fleet. So a lot of carbon free energy coming out of Constellation and our first sitting utility CEO to be on the show. So super excited to have that conversation. And I just need to dial back for a second to Indiana because here's the thing, listeners, if I lived anywhere near Indiana or any of the cities that in Indiana where these events are going to be, I would want to go hang out with Casey Crane. So you should too. And there I'll you just go. That. <laughs> uh, breaking ground at every turn here. Um, want to say uh, thank you to you, Chelsea, for all your hard work uh, as usual every week. If you have not subscribed, we would love for you to do so, but we would also love you to tell a friend uh, to check out the Eco Right Speaks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out. Tell a friend. We would love to uh, to recruit one new listener uh, if you might uh, indulge us. So we love uh, growing. We love getting better, and we love getting bigger. But again, it's all about our listeners and what you want if you've got ideas Please send them to Chelsea. We are always looking to uh, to find new topics, new guests, different things that we can do better, different. Please let us know. Any of and all your feedback is welcome. And for those listeners who don't know how to reach me, C-H-E-L-S-E-A at RepublicEN.org. So as Price said, throw your ideas at me and uh, we'll do our best to make it happen. All right, until next week, have a great week. Stay cool wherever you are, whatever time of day it is. But we appreciate you downloading, listening, and subscribing. And we will talk to you again next week. Have a great week, everybody. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.